The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of Roundball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos, like the intro says, on Twitter at Sports Ethos. Pretty simple. Online, sportsethos.com. Get your fantasy basketball, your betting, got your baseball, got your football, got your general NBA content, including this podcast from yours truly. So definitely make sure to check that out one more time. On, on Twitter, at SportsEthos, online, SportsEthos.com. Also, while I have y'all listening, before we get started on this good stuff here, please take a moment to follow at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all of your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow down. All right, y'all, so by the time you listen to this, it'll be the 29th of March. Again, March is flying by this lovely Tuesday morning when y'all get this into your ears. And I am pumped. I'm excited to have on, uh, I gotta be saying, probably reaching to say friend, but listen, I, I'm, I consider a friend definitely mentor, someone um, all over NBA sphere, especially Lakers Center. You can find him on Bleacher Report. You can find him with Sports Business Classroom, Eric Pincus. You can find him on Twitter at Eric Pincus, E R I C. P-I-N-C-U-S. Eric, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. I appreciate it. And of course, you can call me a friend. You know, we, we've got some we've, we fought in the wars together over in <laughs> Vegas. And uh, actually, uh, you know, we're, we're we did some some TV together. I don't know if yeah. it was ever broadcast, but we recorded it. <laughs> yes, sir. We did. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I don't know if anyone saw it. That's I don't know true. if it aired anywhere. Oh, it was that's fun. But yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I really appreciate those those times when I'm, and I'm, we're going to talk about SBC a little bit later, but some of the best times I've had, like ever. So really awesome. good week. Definitely talk about that. But yeah, Eric, thank you again for, for coming on. Um, just I, obviously, I'm sure anyone who's following basketball, I would like to think NBA, especially Lakers specific, knows you, heard of your work, has seen it. Again, you know, Bleach Report before that, Basketball Insiders all over. Um, but what I'm intrigued by, what I'm interested in by is, is kind of your basketball journey. I mean, obviously, you've gotten to this point, but the, the idea of getting there and, and the stuff that you did, your kind of path, if I could get like, just a little kind of description of your journey up to this point. I'm so intrigued by how um, the process is into getting there. And as someone who's trying to kind of find my own way, it's something that's definitely um, beneficial to me as well. Right. Well, uh, I've been doing this for, for, uh, I got some years on me, you know, <laughs> I've been doing this a while. <laughs> and uh, you know, at some point I, you know, I was going to games as a fan, uh, really mostly through like the nineties. And at some point I realized, okay, there's a job that they actually pay you to go to these games. I'm going to go anyway. I might as well get paid to go. Right. I mean, yeah. that was like the heart of it was mm-hmm. that, I mean, we can make it more complicated, but like I was going to go to the games. I might as well get paid to be there. And obviously if I'm going to get paid to be there, I have to do something of, of, of note that is, is worthwhile for someone to pay me. And I, I had been writing a little bit online in the early days of the internet. And uh, I mean, they didn't really have blogs quite yet. Uh, it was pre Twitter, pre whatever. Wow. 
And so I just, I had been writing some analysis of what I had seen, uh, maybe early, early, early analytics a little bit, you know, things like plus minus weren't really well known. They weren't tracked by the NBA. So mm. did a little bit of that and started to talk about the roster. And, and as I started to do that, I realized, well, for one, I, I was able to resonate with an audience where they were able to, you know, they, they valued what I was saying. And, and for whatever reason, I was capable of, of communicating it in a way that could be received. Mm. And then uh, number two, I realized that if you're writing on a team and, and I was writing primarily at first on the Lakers out of Los Angeles, uh, that if you want, if, if the fan base wants the team to get better, uh, how, how does that work? And what are the rules? I started to learn the CBA started to learn that there's just like, there's a set of rules for the game itself, right? That, that change and grow. Like the, some of the more recent changes have been instant replay. Some of the gray areas are like block charge, um, but simple things like, you know, the size of the court, all the, the things you take for granted. Well, there's this similar kind of, uh, I don't know, ecosystem that governs how players are moved from one team to the other, how they're, you know, the draft, uh, free agency, trades, all that. And so be, I, I sort of became, uh, I don't know about an expert. Uh, some people call me an expert, but yeah. I know the stuff pretty dang well. I teach it. Uh, and so I, I did meet Larry Kuhn along the way and, and Larry's a, a, a friend of both of ours, uh, the general manager of sports business classroom, but, uh, more importantly for, uh, you know, for the world, he'll probably be known as the guy who created the CBA FAQ, yes. which is, uh, really your, I don't know if you're, you're old enough to know what cliff notes are, uh, <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> I am a little familiar with that. Yeah, they were kind of going right. out of the frame, but we still had copies growing up for sure. Yeah, for those who are maybe young enough uh, that that never heard of it, like they were these little like yellowish kind. I think they had like a bright yellow cover. Yeah, and black stripes. So, like, let's say you had to write a, a term paper on like I don't know, Pride and Prejudice or uh, <laughs> Wuthering Heights or something like that, mm -hmm. and either a you didn't want to read the the whole text or b you wanted to get a better understanding of the of the actual text it, it's it was there to, as a supplement but people would just basically not do the work <laughs> yeah and but larry's faq is kind of the cliff notes version of like the cba where the cba is like five however many pages it's it's a massive legal document larry's not an easy read because it's a lot of detail uh but i learned the that the, the the salary cap through that I was able to eventually get some someone to pay me originally it was just some small websites that really didn't have I mean like if I got $35 in a month in the first uh, wow. first year of writing it was like you know lucky I was doing it for the joy of it and for the opportunity and, and seeing if I could do something with it yeah uh, we picked up like some early cyber for Chauncey Billups site uh, like with wow. players would at some point everyone goes like oh we need to have our own website <laughs> In reality, you don't really need that now, but at the time, like there wasn't like a central place for people to see, to go to communicate. So yeah. I, I wrote for Al Harrington's site. I wrote for a whole bunch of player sites and uh, the, the site that picked me up, that gave me the job was called Hoops World. It eventually became Basketball Insiders. I, I left Basketball Insiders in the last year. So uh, I, I had a long journey with them and I wow. published and le learned how to found sourcing on how to get actual player salary data and, and eventually built a name for people knowing that I could, that I was a trusted source of accurate information, worked for the LA times, 
that was pretty cool. Uh, four years, uh, work for bleacher now for, I feel like this is my sixth season, but I'd have to check a calendar to make sure. Uh, and you know, getting the jobs were difficult. Um, because I didn't, I didn't go to journalism school, but I had been writing for several years and, and had, uh, really learned, uh, enough of the standards and, and, and studied journalism enough that the LA times was comfortable hiring me. Uh, they didn't, not everyone there had a journalism degree. You know, I, I had a bachelor's at UCLA. So, um, you know, I had a lot of education and a lot of life experience Yeah. and I just, you know, had a lot of people fighting for me to get the job there internally that, that kind of pushed for me. A lot of that was networking. And uh, once that happened, it kind of got the ball rolling. And and my friendship with Larry, he got the sports business classroom position in 2016 and brought me on to help him uh, run part of it. And and uh, that carries on to this day. Wow. Wow. I mean, that was just a thorough breakdown there. Thank you, Eric. I think <laughs> it's funny having, you know, you mentioned SBC and having attended that and so much of what we were taught in terms of, the importance of networking, you know, letting your work speak for itself, continue to plug away and kind of um, creating, if you will, the opportunity which you can then kind of step into and flourish. It's kind of cool to see how that went from, hey, you know, I like basketball, which is really right where I've been, you know, like maybe I could do something that I'm sticking to what I like and then making that a full-fledged, like, you know, not to date you or anything, but several decade kind of career in this field and being, like you said, like a source on you know, basketball on the cap on the Lakers specifically. I think every offseason it's it's hilarious from a personal perspective um, to follow, you know, to follow you answer questions, mm-hmm. often the same question multiple times, you know, throughout yeah, the course I, of the offseason. I know where you're going with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I loved it. Um, I forgot last year it was so much. I think it was KCP. I forgot who it was. It was a few players. It was, I'm sure you it was know. the hard cap thing. That was what it was. There it was you the go. Thing. Yeah. So <laughs> like so like for those who didn't catch it, but like you're right. I get like the same questions over and over again. And no matter how many times I would tweet the same answer, I would still get the same question. And uh, I, I guess people don't really understand the mechanisms of a hard cap. So they would ask, would this move hard cap the Lakers? And so every day I just started posting, not just Lakers, but just this is what triggers a hard cap, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then I would retweet like people right after I tweeted that asking me, Hey, would this hard cap hard? So like now when I show up at places like, yeah, I've I've had like a GM say like, hey, the Lakers have a hard cap, like a GM of another team, like messing with me about because they saw it. So I, I, you never know what's going to catch on as like a hook. And I mean, I've got like a I've got a, a, a real earworm catchy tune that people really won't let go of. But I don't mind. I mean, I'm really like go with the flow. So oh, yeah, yeah. as long as they're not hating uh, and it's not like, you know, insulting, I, I'm not going to be insulted by that. That's, oh, yeah. yeah. No, you are so cool. I mean, I can go on and especially. We'll talk about later sharing and plugging, but like just knowing you and saying like, yeah, you can ask like the same question. I know for me it was funny because like I said, I didn't think I was better than any other fan, just that I had maybe access through Discord and stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, I know that. And then one day I'd wake up and be like, but can the Lakers do this? And no, like, <laughs> like I would go like reset my brain into that same base level that, you know, all NBA fans, I'd say sports fans in general have where let's just try to see if we can make anything work to make our team have LeBron and, you know, DeMar DeRozan and AD and, you know, cat be danged. So definitely <laughs> that's fun. But actually shifting over more into Lakers perspective, I, before I even get into Lakers and the great piece that you wrote, I, I do want to ask, I think, was it because of locale? Um, you said you went to school UCLA, you know, working with LA Times that you became um, more, I won't say you're a general NBA expert, but more of a Lakers kind of 
um, focus there? Uh, was it that you, I mean, obviously, I'd say you liked the team, but like what kind of drew the connection more to the Lakers in your basketball career? Well, so as as a journalist, especially with the L.A. Times, mm-hmm. you really have to put aside any sort of fandom and, and mm-hmm. be objective. And, and if anyone happens to read my article, which we'll mention that I just put for Bleacher, it, it, it's it's more of a tough love thing. But I, I generally have a lot of affection now for the people I've known through the last couple. You know, I, I came in the year LeBron came in as far as uh, joining the actually covering in person at what was Stable Center at the time. Oh, wow! So I've been around a while and you you start to make connections and we talked about networking a little bit. I start to root for my, like my friends. I want my friends to succeed. Mm-hmm. And now my friends are all scattered throughout the league. Maybe I met them through the Lakers, maybe not. Uh, and so at some point you're and it and it goes with players, too. Like I want Julius Randle to have success in New York because I, I was there when the Lakers worked him out and I got to know him in, in the locker room and when he had his kid and all that kind of stuff, wow. you get to know the, the people and it's like, yeah, I want you to succeed. But, um, you know, growing up in LA, especially, you know, I grew up in the eighties, nineties. So, uh, I mean, I was young, but I met magic when I was like 15. Oh, wow. Um, you, you know, like it's, it's hard to grow up in LA and not, um, you know, have that kind of Lakers mentality. But I also, uh, I used to go to I, I saw Michael Jordan play against the Clippers um, back. You know, gosh, I forget how long ago, but they used to have like I don't know, eight or 10 game packages at the sports arena, which is long since gone. Uh, <laughs> but you you get to go and I would see like Elijah Wan and Barkley, although Barkley was always in a, always in street clothes against the Clippers. Like you, you would always choose that game to I guess they didn't have like uh, what was it like rest days rest or days. You know, maintenance days, you know, yeah. but um, and Barkley will. You know, excuse me, but he'll bitch about like players doing it now. Like. <laughs> but come on now, he would totally do all that. Like I, he, I never saw him play against the Clippers, not once. Oh, and I hilarious. did that 10 game package thing for like three or four years. Uh, but uh, like at, at some point, like to get into the gym, uh, I was brought in. I, well, I guess the right word is, is like with with at the time Hoops World, yeah. they had c- connections with a lot of teams and the Lakers were like slow to pick up the Internet. Like they didn't fully understand what it was. Uh, this was John Black at the time, former PR director. Um, he didn't he he had like a flip phone until like at some point he, they, they made him get like an iPhone, but he still kept the flip phone. He was just old school. Old school. I mean, uh, we had a good relationship, so I'm not you know, I'm not criticizing him. But oh, yeah, he, he was slow to adapt to the Internet as opposed to traditional print, whereas the, the Clippers let me in. And so the first year I was there, it was covering the Clippers and I would get the Lakers two games when, when they were on the road. So that's kind of how uh, I got to know the Clippers. And I wrote some articles on them that were actual, I, I treated them with a certain level of respect that other people weren't giving them okay. uh, because I just like, I, all right, whatever happened before I got there isn't, you know, that's not what I'm about. Like, let's show me what you are now. What are we now? And at the time, they were a lot better than they had been. Mm. Uh, they were still under Donald Sterling and hit, still had some growth, to, a lot of serious growth to go through uh, to become what they are now, which is you know, tremendously better than what they were back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but I treated them with respect and uh, you know, Lakers got to know me that way. And that's how they eventually let me in as well, because they saw that, you know, I was professional. And um, but as far as covering like the league, I write national for Bleacher. I'm a national reporter, but when they hired me originally, it was to cover the Lakers and was with the LA times. It was 
it was to, it was to cover the Lakers, and I ultimately did probably like eighty five percent Lakers, fifteen percent Clippers there at the LA Times. Oh, wow. And with Bleacher, it's it's it, it's it's national all year, but then the Lakers just by their brand tend to be uh, there's a big audience for them. They have a very large online community, our online fan base compared to other teams. They're probably um, at least not, if not number one, which I would suggest they were uh, in, in size. Uh, like when the Warriors were winning titles, that really big. There's some other communities that are great. You know, the Celtics have a great online community. There's a lot of great uh, fan bases that you can, you have access to that we never did before. And they have access to us as journalists and can communicate directly and whatnot. So uh, ultimately uh, I put my fans, fan hat aside i root for health more than anything else i want to see a healthy ceo a healthy nba year would be great where we have like the best the world has to offer right here in front of us mm-hmm. unfortunately that's not reality and there's always you know, some level of injury this year you know lakers have been hit lots of teams have been hit yeah. uh paul george might be back soon with the clippers it looks like so they've been hit they haven't had Kawhi all season so uh but generally speaking uh you know, LA growing up here, it's hard not to kind of be inundated with the whole you know, purple and gold thing. Yeah, the, the Lakers exceptionalism, I'm sure, is all that envelops LA. And like you said, even the way you've done it, trying to be, you know, I, I think just from someone who's obviously read your work and talked to you in different spaces, objective about these are the facts, it is what it is, and not letting fandom seep in. That's something I'm still struggling with because I actually have no like home ties to Lakers. I, I became a fan of them when I was young because I saw purple and yellow and I liked the color scheme. And I was like, let's go and now it's grown to the fandom that i'm trying to like i think i do it relatively like when i'm watching basketball i'm like oh i really hope the lakers win this game like i'm i'm looking but like darn like if russ is playing bad i like russell westbrook so i'm sitting going like man like i'm really rooting for you you know so i think it's really important to like kind of take that lesson you're saying of you know leaving that fan hat at the door and just just looking at it for what it is the facts and, and and kind of putting your analysis through that lens um and kind of in the spirit of doing that i you wrote a great piece on the drop earlier today, uh, right during my lunchtime. It was literally perfect timing. Um, and it was how the Lakers mismanaged their way from champs to champs. It's a title. I'll have that in the description of the pod. Definitely make sure to check that out. Um, it's well worth the read because it's a deep dive, not only into most of what I was going to ac- actually ask you today, Eric, it's hilarious about like what went wrong with the Lakers, but like the, the it's not just this season like the series of steps that the lakers have taken to their ultimate malaise right now i guess you'd say i'm hoping is the right word in that case has been mm-hmm. set several years in advance um and the way that you kind of craft the article out and laid out okay losing the identity um i wasn't even aware of tht's contract in the scope of i knew it was a bad deal but in the scope of how they could have signed him for an earlier rate uh, i could just dive into it but the first thing i want to ask you i want to don't want to go all in i want people to definitely check it out and read it i want to ask you just in terms of what you outlined about the Lakers, um, you talk about the Lakers could have done, right? Um, and you were objective. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to put your, 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 your personal cap on this one because from everything the Lakers could have done in terms of choosing basically THT over Alex Caruso and the reason why that was done and um, uh, Russell Westbrook, of course, all of that, out of all the possible paths the Lakers could have reasonably taken, let's put you back, you know, SBC, July, well, I guess it had already been decided. So June of last year, what were kind of your ideal outcome for the team from just an objective? Hey, this will make the Lakers better um, perspective. Well, I think they had set up for themselves, maybe an artificial decision where they were choosing between Buddy Heald and Russell Westbrook. There was some flirtation with DeMar DeRozan, but DeMar 
had to be done via sign and trade through the Spurs, and that would have been costly, and it would have also given them go back to our earlier talk. It would have given them a hard cap. <laughs> so there would have been they, they had just finished up with a hard cap the year before, which was really limiting, and I think they didn't like understandably so they didn't like how they felt a little constricted that that's the point of it right so i don't think they wanted a hard cap so i think demar ultimately wasn't the choice because it just didn't make sense from like it it, it i'd heard it cost caruso in that trade that would have been a piece i i know anecdotally that they liked kuzma uh, i don't know i know that caruso at least that's what i had heard was was a, a key piece in, in a potential trade i don't know if that would have also included kuzma or not uh, but it would have had to include more than just Caruso. And so uh, it that I get why they didn't do it, the hard cap. And you can argue, you know, DeMar has been great, uh, but you can argue like that he's really not a non-shooter with LeBron. That might not have worked as well. And and they give the ball to uh, DeMar, and he does a lot of creation of his own shot, which he's brilliant at. I don't know if that's the perfect fit. Anyway, uh, and I don't know if he would be able to be as special as he's been in, in Chicago if he were playing with a healthy AD and LeBron. Uh, to me, you look at, at like the fundamentals, and this is kind of going to the article. Mm-hmm. It's really looking at what they were when they won the championship, which was a, a successful formula. Now, was it perfect? No. I mean, uh, you know, this you said a deep dive like you should see my drafts. I mean, I cut <laughs> this thing down. Oh, wow. like, seriously, I had it. <laughs> Uh, this this could have been twice as long. I had to really pick and choose because the there's first of all, Bleacher only has an appetite for so much in an article because a certain percentage of people are only going to read uh, a certain amount. So yeah. um, they have to pick. Yeah, you know, we and but when I was, it was worse with the LA Times. I mean, LA Times when you're doing print, you're you have limited number of inches that are in a physical newspaper. Oh, wow. So you you I, I learned well there how to cut the fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally speaking, if you're a writer, you can probably cut e- easy. You can cut 10% of what you did you, in most cases, 10% of what you wrote is probably just fat that you can trim out. Then it gets a little harder. Another 10% at some point you start cutting into the muscle. I'd say that there's one area that I cut into, you know, more where I would love to, I wanted to detail the THT situation a little more explicitly, okay. uh, but they had me cut it down just a bit because it was like twice as long as every other section. And I get that. Um, but you know, the, the main thing is, is they had a winning formula. Their team was long, gritty, defensive, didn't shoot well, slightly above average offensively, primarily because they were an elite, uh, paint scoring team, right? Like their points in the paint, they were dominant three point shooting. They were in the neighborhood of 21, right? So they were a poor three point shooting team, but they won. Right. So the answer would be from that point of view, there should we don't need a third star with AD and LeBron as much as you know. Speaking from the point of view of the Lakers, uh, if you're if you're a Rob Plinka or whatever uh, making these decisions, we need to build upon what we already have. We need to stay long, stay defensive, and find ways to do all that while also adding uh, better shooting. That that's really all they needed, yeah. and. You know, from my point of view, we saw it in the last few weeks still with with no AD, like just the addition of athletes like Wenyan Gabriel and and Stanley Johnson, who are both like Wenyan's big. Stanley's not the tallest guy, but he's big and strong uh, and just more athletic players with young legs. It's, you just need depth around LeBron. You, 
And and at the time, like the the regular season, the first year, you know, the year they won, the numbers were pretty bad with Rondo when when he played regular season. Yeah. But I I kept saying, you know, wait till the playoffs. And it's not like there's a playoff Rondo. I mean, you could say there is and there is. I don't really <laughs> care about that. But yeah. it's more about defenses have the opportunity to scout what you do in a regular season. The teams just don't have enough time. The coaching staffs, they have an advanced scout and then they do like a shoot around where they just do a walkthrough over some of the things the other team does. But it's not really you know, maybe you have two, three days off and you have the chance to prepare for a team. But that's really rare. Most of the time, the preparation for another team is is literally the shoot around. And by the way, teams aren't shooting around anywhere close to what they were like even five years ago. Like they've reduced the shoot arounds used wow. to be like all the time. Uh, they've reduced it even before the pandemic. They reduced it even more during the pandemic. So they're just, they, they don't, you know, you're, you're basically just being who you are and trying to beat the other team. And the coach has a, a game plan, but it's really not something that you put a lot of time to, but in the playoffs, mm-hmm. that's a different story. Now you're playing the same team, seven games straight, cool. you know, first game's a feel out game, second game, everybody's adjusting. Then it's adjustments to adjustments. By the time you get to game five, six, seven, there's only so many adjustments to make. Like you have the same set of personnel like the Lakers did sub in like uh, Alex Crusoe as a starter in game seven and against Miami. And that was kind of the, the final adjustment that worked mm-hmm. that closed out that series. Uh, but like, realistically, they're not able to make those kind of adjustments on the fly, but Rondo, I figured would be somebody who uh, because your offense isn't going to work as well as you want it to work. Cause the other team they now know your 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 plan A, B, C, and and, and you know you each team runs however many sets. Maybe you run five six sets regularly, whatever it is. Like they know all you run. It's not a mystery, and they know how to scout it and and how to counter it. So when you have somebody like Rondo who can really manipulate the ball and create something out of nothing in a two man game with someone like AD, and then you have like LeBron on the weak side where he doesn't have the ball. Now LeBron doesn't have to try to drive through traffic, drive through a whole team of five to four or five defenders to try to create. And that's so that's really the formula like and, and Rondo being what he was in terms of age. Uh, need, you know, you need it. It would be nice to have kept him. Uh, he ended up being a little pricey. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, they did need a ball handler who could do that. But I think they kind of went overboard thinking they needed somebody like Dennis Schroeder, who really isn't a true point guard. He's a scorer who can create a little bit, but he also didn't have the best reputation as far as uh, getting along with teammates and things like that. So they, and then that's where we get into the weeds of the article, where if you list, there's look, there's a list of like all the picks they've traded away to get players that they didn't keep. Like they, they traded Danny green on a first to get uh, to get Dennis and then let Dennis go. They traded, uh, not that it's a big deal, but they traded uh, you know, Svi to the, the Pistons at the time, Mikhailuk, yeah. and traded a second and then got Reggie Bullock, didn't keep Reggie Bullock. So basically you're wasting two assets. And I try to treat people like people. Yeah, so, you know, Svi is a guy, but I'm saying from a asset management point of view, like there's just this long history of that kind of thing. So, you know, to kind of wrap up the, the point, you were saying like, what would I have done to me? I would have mm-hmm. built upon that core I get the idea of Danny green who's older uh, for a Dennis in theory, but I didn't love that at the time and giving up a first. Uh, I think they needed, you know, like what Austin Reeves does as a secondary playmaker is just as valuable. Like you, you, you get guys who can shoot. Not that Austin's been a great shot this year from the outside. um, Although he's shooting well 
overall from the field. Uh, but like, that's really simple. Just like guys who can play this team has like no playmakers. Uh, I mean, none got hurt. So that, that was part of it. Yeah. Um, and you know, they, they instead went and, and reduced the depth to me. Depth was everything like that, that like every year, AD is going to get hurt a little bit more than most LeBron's going to get hurt a little bit. Everybody else on the roster is going to get hurt a little bit. And so you need to be able to deal with that. And uh, I think they put themselves in a, in a picture where the only way they could really win would be to be fully healthy. And it's just not how the NBA works. And when you have one of the oldest teams in the league and you have all your resources in one player, or at least three players, but you, you, the, the assets that you sent away for Westbrook and then Westbrook isn't a, a floor spacer. And he's someone who does need the ball. He's not someone who really plays well off the ball. And by the way, he doesn't defend very well either. And if the choice was, Westbrook or Buddy, Buddy's a good shooter, better fit, also not a great defender, wouldn't have been as costly. What I'd heard it was Trez and Kuzma. Maybe you can keep KCP, maybe you can keep Caruso, go and stick with depth. I'm not in love with Buddy Heald either. I just feel like they had a false choice that like we have to make a move. Like I think if you kept the same team and added Malik Monk and Carmelo Anthony to the exact same team last year, uh, Maybe you needed to replace Andre Drummond. Fine. Uh, but I think there were the, they would have been more successful with the flexibility and the depth of just not making the Westbrook trade as awesome as he's been over the course of his career. I don't want to yeah. slight Russ. He's, he's a special player. I just think he's at a point where maybe he's 1% less athletic than he was, maybe five. But more importantly, he's on a team where he's just not it's just not a good fit. It doesn't play to his strengths to be on this team. And wow. you, that was not a surprise. And when it, when the deal happened, I, I talked to a lot of people around the league. They were like, why are the Lakers doing this? I don't get it. And I, I'd say, well, you, they want to get the ball out of LeBron's hands a little bit to protect him. Like we talked about with Rondo, but to me, it's like, the answer was, yeah, do that, but do that with like a bench player. Like literally they're having that kind of success with DJ Augustine. You know wow. what I mean? Like at yeah. the end of his career, I don't know how many years left he has Augustine, probably two, three or whatever, that, but yeah. like just having a guy in the second unit who can just move the ball, create for others, penetrate a little bit uh, and, and shoot the three a little bit. Not that he's been brilliant, but he doesn't defend well either. So, you know, they sacrifice a lot, uh, mostly on the defensive end to basically be still a bad shooting team, still a poor offensive team, but also now a bad defensive team. So, you know, you have that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta you broke it down so succinctly, Eric. I got I got almost nothing. I mean, yeah, the, the the blueprint, the analysis, the pieces. I'm sure that will come out of this. I'm gonna be intrigued in from like a roster construction or deconstruction breakdown perspective because you're right. You have a Lakers team that you described 2020 perfect fit. You know, could have juiced up the three point shooting, but defensively have an idea, an identity. Offensively, LeBron AD is the motor. You know, gets them to have decent shooting. Boom, and then 2021, it's like okay, insert. You know, Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, exit some of the defense, insert Marc Gasol. Let's have more of an offensive lineup to, like, you know, be on the floor when LeBron is out. That didn't work out well. And then we got this year, and we just went all offense. But, like, I, I guess from a personal perspective, this year I feel like expectations were down because people had to see myself as well as, like, a higher team. Um, like, oh, wow, this team could be a, a finals contender, right? I think a lot of it was off of what we saw last year when healthy, plus who we thought these guys would be, the idea of them. I – not gonna lie in my heart of hearts i did not think russ was a great fit just because russ plays a certain style and he's not changed the style you know in oklahoma city in houston and washington um that's just what it is but i was hopeful 
Um, at the same time, you know, it, it fell apart, and obviously it's been a season um, that Laker fans all over like to forget. So just from an enjoyability standpoint, made that word, there we go. Like, what has been the most interesting? Because 2021, it felt like an odd Lakers team. Like, the vibe was weird. Obviously, COVID had a big part of that, but you had some stuff with Shooter, it felt like. You had some stuff with Montrezl Harrell. You had some stuff with Mark Gasol. Um, and then this year, like, the vibes have not been great within either of these two years but like which team for you was one that you're like you know what like all things being equal it wasn't the worst year you know i mean last year was like last year they were number one in defense they just weren't a good offensive team because of injuries and also a big part of it of why they weren't as good last year is because of the quick turnaround from the bubble season right so you look at what miami did they went to the finals and then were a shell the next year. Mm-hmm. They're back this year. They're, they're much better this year. They're among the top teams. We'll see where chips fall as far as how good they are. Uh, but they're among the best teams in the East. Whereas last year they were kind of whatever, like they were good, but they weren't themselves. Yeah. And, you know, Denver wasn't anywhere close to themselves. They didn't even have, you know, Jamal Murray and all that. Um, it, it, it's just the, the, the nature of, of, I guess my main point is, is like last year was what it was, not because the Lakers weren't properly constructed, but because natural human like recovery, you just need it. They just weren't. So like, I don't think the move for Dennis was like, oh, it destroyed an identity. It it shifted it. So kind of piggybacking off of um, the comparison to what you mentioned, the, the changes made with a 2021 roster. Now we're looking at 2022. Lakers right now, it's not looking too great, you know, for them to kind of keep that last playing spot. It's 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 in play, but with LeBron's recent ankle injury, the Spurs, you know, just a game behind, Lakers in a free fall, and the Pelicans actually playing demonstrably better, um, is definitely in play for this Lakers. And and so if you know, regardless of whether or not they, they make this play in tournament, have the right to hopefully play the Phoenix Suns again in the first mm-hmm. round, there will have to be some changes made. Um, you kind of outlined again in, the, in your piece just where we've gone to this through this point. And you even mentioned some of what I'm going to throw at you here in terms of some of the biggest players on this roster who are going to have their futures up in the air just by the way that the team is constructed. A lot of one-year contracts, um, a lot of players that, um, well, in Russell Westbrook's case, did not fit, but, you know, still have some money, but the fit was not good. Um, and I just kind of want to throw these guys at you and just kind of get your take on it. I know um, I'll put both two of these guys together since most people kind of know the answer to this, but, I mean, expert perspective is always great. So that's Russell Westbrook and Malik Monk. Um, Russ has been better the last month for what it's worth, uh, specifically the last, like, half of the month, I'd like to say. Um, but like you said, clear, a couple sets have been lost. His feel was off. This is the first time I've seen Russ play, like, lack of confidence um, just over a significant stretch. And so it was just clear that, you know, even if he was liked among LeBron and AD and some of the players, there was friction with Frank Vogel was a lot there. Um, well, Malik Monk's almost on the opposite of that. He's actually been like a shining star for this Lakers season. One of the literally the only guy you could say is like has youth on the team that could kind of project forward if he were to stick around. But because of his contract situation, that's in place. So I want to throw those two guys to you and kind of see uh, what are your thoughts and, and the likelihood of them kind of sticking around past the season. Well, I'll just throw in, I think Austin Reeves, uh, Wenyan Gabriel, and Stanley Johnson have a place on this team as younger pieces. Oh, they do as and, well. You know, so I don't want to denigrate them. I think Austin's been great as an undrafted player. Uh, Absolutely. But, you know, Malik, the challenge is, uh, so they they signed him to what's what I like to call like a lose-lose contract, 
where like if you sign him for the minimum and he doesn't do much, then what'd you get? Right. Like mm-hmm. just, whatever. But if he does show out, then you really don't have the means to keep him because the Lakers project to be over the tax next year it means they have their tax pyramid level. Let's just round the numbers a little bit. Say it's six million starting in that range mm-hmm. uh, to keep him. That's the most they can pay unless they shed a lot of salary. Then they could pay about a little over 10 million, which is the bigger mid-level than the non-taxpayer mid-level. That's really the market for him because maybe there's four or five teams that'll be over the cap, but I don't know if he's going to be the target for those teams. He might be, in which case the money would be more than 10 million. But let's assume that the few teams that don't have cap room don't go after Malik. Well, there's certainly going to be, at least in my mind, at least two, three teams, just need one that are willing to pay him about 10 million starting. And if the most the Lakers can pay him is six, that's difficult. And the challenge is, oh, well, it's only $4 million. You know, well, for one, yeah, that $4 million, $4 million. I mean, and even if the players take home is about half that, it's still a ton of money. But then the other aspect of it is you can sign, if you're Malik, like a four-year deal starting at 10 versus a three-year deal starting at six. And you may not want a a three-year deal starting at six, but it, it maybe you're talking about like 44 million versus maybe 20 ish million over the potential contracts. And now it's not 4 million. You're talking about, you know, a decent 20 million or something like that, that he'd have to turn away. So that's, you know, that's a concern. And then the Lakers only have that one tool. And so are you going to use that one tool just to keep this team more or less together when it already isn't good? So that's the quandary. And then the bigger <laughs> quandary is how do you get out of Russ? He's got a $47 million player option, which I don't think there's anyone who who doesn't think he's going to take. And there's no real way around that. Like Chris Paul did something where he opted out and re-signed for a longer deal uh, that was at a lower dollar. Mm, Yeah. If, if things were working out with Russ, I could see that, but they're not. And so, and, and he also like, if he opts out, he, what's the guarantee that the Lakers say, Oh yeah, opt out and we'll, we'll pay you a, a three year, you know, whatever million dollar contract that'll be less. Well, then he opts out and they're like, well, we changed our mind. Like there's no protection for Russ in that kind of situation. They can't extend him for less than the option just by the rules. If they, if he declines his 47 million to accept a $20 million three-year deal for 60 million, which is more than 47, Mm -hmm. you can't do an extension like that because if you opt out for an extension, the, amount you get has to be at least the amount of the declined option. So you can only extend starting at 47. So he can wait till free agency and then just trust that the Lakers say, Oh yeah, yeah. Well you opt out and we'll resign you. We promise. But then he does. And then they're like, oops, uh, well, never mind. You know, we're going to let you go. And (laughs) you know, there's no guarantee there. So uh, one is, is just letting his contract expire and just trying to make the best of it and see if a different coach, maybe a different, group of role players will make it better another is trying to find a trade for him and i mean let's be honest there's not going to be much of a market there's going to be more of a market in on paper than there was at the deadline because at least it's an expiring amount yeah but you're talking about taking bad contracts back long ugly contracts to even that out and then also maybe potentially giving up not one but maybe two first round picks like 2027 2029 are the picks they could trade and the challenge there is those are picks after LeBron and AD's contracts are done. 
So are the Lakers going to bank that? Well, well, those guys will still be good. You know, LeBron at 42, 45, whatever, you know, 50. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's the challenge. So it depends on the cost. And there's a, a third option is to, well, this really this, the third option is, is in two points, just wave him outright, maybe buy him out. Maybe he can get another team to pay him 10 million. So maybe you could chop 10 million off of his money as a buyout and he goes somewhere else. And that doesn't give them the flexibility to, to do anything else, but it does reduce their tax bill mm-hmm. or they're stretching a salary. And that's the one that I think makes a little more sense depending on the situation. If you're getting a $10 million buyout, even if it's only $3 million buyout and you're stretching it for like 12 to 15 million over three years, mm-hmm. now you're under the tax this year. You have the flexibility to pay Malik that 10 million. And then, but then you're paying Russ money the next two years that you weren't counting on before and it does hurt your flexibility when it comes to you know if you start to get a, a team that's at the tax now you're paying tax and it, it's it's there's no great solution to me right yeah. now on paper that's the least costly one but i wouldn't do that unless i scoured the trade market and knew for sure that there wasn't something that was viable and even if there is like maybe there's trading tht and hoping you get a first for him but his contract's not particularly helpful either because he can opt out after next year. And if a team trades for THT and he opts out, then basically they're trading for a guy that they have to negotiate with. They can't give an extension to, and they have to negotiate with Rich Paul, who's a, a very good agent, mm-hmm. but he's a challenging one for teams, right? He's got yeah. a, difficult repu- a reputation for being difficult in negotiations. If you're a player, that's, that might be a good thing. You know what I mean? Like to get an agent who really fights and, and isn't willing to get his hands a little dirty to get what he needs for his players. That's, that's a pro from a team perspective. It's a negative. So yeah. if you're trading for THT and then you have to, you get him and he blows up and now you've got to pay him like $25 million a year. That's a problem. If you're, as opposed to maybe trading for someone else who's making a, you know, a, is under better control, lower money, more years. So you know, I don't have an answer for what they're going to do. I think uh, ultimately they the track record in my article suggests that they haven't made great decisions. So that's the concern. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, they, they created this mess. Do you trust the same people who created it to get out of it? I don't, I currently, I, for me, it's not like, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I'm really reporting on it. I'm just pointing out. There's not a lot to, uh, to say, oh yeah, these guys, they've got it. When I don't think they've been particularly diligent over the last few years and in, in their decision-making. And trying to get that, that makes sense. I mean, you basically described it in, in the pickle that it is. I mean, from, like you said, cat salary perspective, uh, player management with Russ and like that's a lot. I, I guess we'll go from that to just my personal favorite. I don't really threw him in there because I have no idea, but I thought Carmelo has had like a really stinky good year 19 you know, with all the talk given to LeBron and how bad the Lakers have been just relative to expectations, do you think, Melo, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if you know anything like in terms of him possibly coming back for another year. I mean, he's, I thought, been pretty soft for what he is as a player in the 19th year. You know, not everyone's going to be LeBron, but, like, he's been, I thought, pretty darn effective in his role. Yeah, I mean, you could look at the analytics and they suggest that, like, he's a lot of points for both sides. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, he helps the Lakers spread the floor. I think there's a place for Melo on a better team on the, on, on this team, on the Lakers team okay. with a better roster. I think uh, if he's someone who's willing to come back, willing to come back for cheap mm-hmm. uh, and just have that opportunity to play with LeBron still and 
Uh, I think he fits with LeBron. I think he fits with AD. He spaces the floor. There's little subtle things that if you know, I see at the game where when the team sets up on offense, he's directing traffic a lot of who goes where. Um, like he's telling Russ or if it's THT or some of the other players, like he's telling who to, you know, which direction to go right or left. Like he's, he's, he, his intelligence and his understanding of the game, especially offensively, which is really, you know, for Melo, that's been 90% of the, of the game is, yeah. is offense. He, he's a true talent and a legend. You know, I've always been a fan of Melo as a, as a player. I know a lot of people through his career haven't loved uh, his style of play. I've always been a fan of, of what he does. So defensively, I, I think there's some deficiencies, but I think in a better balanced team, he could be a, an asset in, in what they're doing. He could be a part of something much better than what we've seen this year on the floor. Definitely. I get that. I appreciate it. I'm just really hopeful he comes back and has a better year than this. I mean, he was one, of course, him and LeBron finally becoming, you know, teammates and all that, you know, could have been better, but I definitely uh, agree with your analysis there. And then lastly, you know, the front office. I mean, I'm, I, I specifically mentioned Frank Vogel and Rob Palenka because I feel like we all kind of know with Frank, but Rob Palenka, I feel like he, he's getting more blame, at least from a fan perspective, I think, but also someone I could see next year. But throwing it over to you, like, where do you see either of those two um, this, this upcoming season? Sure. Well, I, I think that someone needs to be blamed, not not saying from my perspective, but from internally, from like that, from what I know of teams, they yeah. need to scapegoat somebody. <laughs> That's going to roll. And it's rare for the people in charge to blame themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think they'll probably uh, put this on, on Vogel and say that with a better coach, we'll get a better result. And um, you know, I mentioned in my article, like Vogel was the right coach for the team that was built when they won the title. And so they completely gave him the opposite of how he likes to play. And now uh, an ideal coach can coach any style of ball. That sounds great. But like the reality is, is like people have personalities as coaches, like they have styles and Vogel is not the most versatile of coaches. He's his style works with the right players. Doesn't work with this group. And he's been struggling to find, I mean, not all his fault. Certainly part of it is his fault, the health and not having AD and, and guys get in and out and the roster construction. That's not on him. I don't think he maximized it, but at the same time, I don't know if there was a maximization that was going to do much more than this, but also like once players, like the players also, like they're not going to blame each other. No. They're not going to look at, at Russ and say Russ isn't good. It's not the weakest very talented. <laughs> no, so they got to blame someone too. It's not, it's, it's human nature. Like you, 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 I've coached like rec league and it's like, or I've seen at the AU level, like the moment a team starts struggling, lose a bunch of games, everyone's going to blame the coach rather than the players. And I like, I've coached great teams and almost all great teams, to be honest, I've had luck, but like one year it was like the transition between like all of our older girls had had played out of the age group and we got a bunch of girls who had never really played in the big gym before. And so we had like one or two really good players left over, but I had a whole group of new girls that I had to teach. And we're talking like 10 years old or nine years old, like maybe our vets were 11. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, you know, like, <laughs> but like there's a huge at that age. There's a huge difference. You know what Absolutely. I mean? It's, it's not that different from like, you know, whatever, like high school to college. Like you're getting players who are just green 
And so then it took, you know, I had one season where it was like, yeah, we were really mediocre, didn't do anything in the playoffs. But then the next year I got some of them back. I got some, you know, now they can't come back. They knew how to play a little bit. They understood. And then we're back rolling to the championship, you know, or at least the getting to the final game. And, you know, obviously I'm simplifying it because rec league girls basketball isn't an NBA, but like it, it, basketball is pretty universal mm-hmm. and there's a, a, a natural fan tendency to blame the coach because that's what they see. Yeah. Uh, and then it's also a, a, a player tendency to blame the coach because they're not going to blame each other and say, you know, we all suck, you know? So yeah. um, I think they need a new voice right or wrong. I think that you know, Vogel is a good coach for his style. They're not playing his style anymore. So he's not the right coach for this particular team unless they change styles back, which I, we have no idea what they're going to do as far as Rob. I mean, I think Rob has a little insulation because, uh, some of the decisions that were made were pushed for by LeBron and company, specifically Westbrook. It was something that they wanted the front office, I'm told, as well. But it's it, it wasn't something they were 100 percent on. Uh, but LeBron kind of pushing it over the top made it the move as yeah. opposed to Buddy or, or as opposed to staying Pat. Okay. Uh, and so, like, for me, my point of view, it like it doesn't matter who your best player is, your star player. There's a certain amount of like decision-making that has to be for what's best for the team because it, the star player may not know what's best, you know, because there's a gap in talent. Like there's so the, the gap in talent between like the best players in the NBA and the average player is huge. Yeah. And so, and they don't necessarily understand like what it means to be the rest of the, those role players, how hard it is to play with them. It's hard to play with LeBron. It was hard to play with Kobe, like some superstars. It's easy, but mostly it's it, like it, you're just not getting touches. You're not like LeBron. with Russ, like when the ball's not in LeBron's hands, he really has to go like the dunker spot to kind of maximize what he can do. Yeah. You know, and that's not really, really what he, it's what, similar to what he did a little bit in Houston with D'Antoni and Harden like that, but it's, it's not really who Russ is. So uh, I don't blame anybody specifically. I think it's everybody involved made mistakes i don't know i have no intel that the lakers are looking to change front office i think that uh they're probably looking at lebron and saying you know we did what lebron wanted and and it backfired and everyone's got to kind of live with it and maybe we need you know maybe we need to rethink our decisions moving forward uh i think my article kind of points out that whatever they have doing Mm -hmm. uh whether that's genie or her advisors uh kurt linda rambis uh, or it's uh, Rob as the GM, whatever the formula is, they've lo- left a lot of money on the table. You know what I mean? Like they, they've, now I listed it in the article. There's a lot of moves where you're just deprecating assets year after year. And again, like, I don't want to, they're human beings too. I'm not like, but from a, an asset management of like, you're a team where you have a limited number of resources. How do you manage them is going to indicate whether or not you're going to have some level of su- success, sustained success. And if every move you make, you're bleeding out capital, then eventually it's going to run out. And for a team that gave up so much to get AD, which I didn't put into the article, yeah, but was a lot. And and who were they bidding against? Basically, no one. Uh, no one else had a shot to get AD, and yet they gave up way too much relative to what the market would bear. But yeah. at the same time, David Griffin, who runs the Pelicans, took advantage of the knowledge of what it means to to negotiating to be a part of a LeBron team because he had years of experience doing that in Cleveland. So he fully understood the pressure that Rob and the Lakers were under when it came to getting AD. And so he milked them to the bone. Uh, you know, I, I spoke to someone with the Pelicans and they're like, 
man, we, we should have got Kuzma too because they were willing to give up anything. And wow. They're kicking themselves that they didn't take further advantage. Like they got everything that they could possibly want. Yeah. And they're like, we should have asked for more because they gave us everything we wanted. And, but I didn't write about that because like really the question for me was like, how did they get from the championship to where they are now? I did include some detail about the kind of like the Svee, Thomas Bryant, uh, Zubats, Julius Randall kind of moves where you just let pieces go for nothing and got and let assets like, second round future picks first round picks expire or trade or whatever without any sort of value because there's a trend that goes even beyond the championship year it's just i i don't i don't know if they recognize their deficiencies and um you know I, as i said earlier i think people tend to look outward uh when there's failure instead of inward and yeah. you know myself included i have to work on that at times and make sure i don't blame others for my mistakes right no one's perfect it's it's, it's you gotta look in the mirror and be honest with yourself just in life in any area of trying to be successful. Mm-hmm. And if you're an NBA team, that means recognizing, Hey, yeah, we, there were moves that were made over the last five years that set this up to why you know, we, we didn't value Crusoe enough to pay him. Our defense fell apart. That would have been nice. Had we done THT a different way, let's learn from that. But really to me, the heart of what I wrote is, is in the end with Austin Reeves, who's been a real nice find of a second. This team has done a really good job of finding talent in the draft or outside the draft. That's where their strength is, right? So, like, didn't you learn from what happened with THT? They have had the means, had they paid uh, none, just about 30, call it 35,000 less, okay. that they could have given uh, Reeves a three-year deal. And the kid was coming in on a two- two way. You don't think he would have taken a three year deal. Of course he would have. Absolutely. And it's really industry standard. You know, if you had to guarantee his whole first year, so do it. You know, that that's, that's not a crazy thing. It's what everyone else for the most part does in this league. So that's really my concern is that they, they messed up the THT contract. It probably cost them Caruso. THT should be making about 1.8 million this year instead of 9.5. Wow. Uh, and, you know, like you look at Terrence Mann, you look at uh, Daniel Gafford, they were the same class. They're making one eight. They both got extended for successful play and their money doesn't kick in, kick in at a higher level for two years. THC, yeah. he's already getting paid that cash. So good for him. Good for Rich Paul. I'm not mad at them. You know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're an agent, I advise agents. I consult for agents and I, you know, shorter deals tend to be better when they're low, bigger deals when they're, you know, when it's a lot of money, yeah, mm-hmm. get as long a deal as you can when it's low money deal, short as possible. Uh, but from the team perspective, no, like they, so, but they didn't apply that misstep and look in the mirror and learn from it. And they, all they had to do was just paid none 35 K less or something like that and sign Austin for three years. And now you've got a kid in the same situation where he's been way better. He starts for them. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know if he's an NBA starter just yet for any Mm. team, but the kid can play and they're starting him because of injuries and whatnot, but like, he's really good. Yeah, he's and at least so. Why that. would why wouldn't you want him? He's a two way player. He plays defense. He plays offense. He moves the ball really as a secondary playmaker better than anyone else on the team as a secondary playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and you did the same mistake with THT. So that's really the heart of it. If you if 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 you had learned from that, I would have more confidence that they can solve these problems. But I just. Uh, from an analysis point of view, I don't look at them and say, I'm confident that they've learned their lessons of, of mismanagement. Not that they've done a terrible job because you got AD, you want a championship. But overall, I think uh, if you look at the full list of moves, they didn't maximize their opportunity. And I think that reflects on the floor this year. 
Yeah, that's a really thorough breakdown of just kind of where they are. I really appreciate that, Eric. And yeah, I mean, the fact that you even brought up the, the THJ thing, and you said that was a lot that you kind of left on the cutting floor in terms of that contract. But like the fact that there's such a salary like disparity and what he's being paid, what he could be paid, all because Lakers basically didn't cover their bases well in advance. It's just really interesting. And you made a lot of interesting points as well, just about human nature. And like you said, front office at the end of the day, when it comes to reevaluating this, probably going to be easier to look at somebody else and say, hey, somebody has to take the heat for this, rather than say, you know what, I made some errors in my evaluation as well. Um, yep. Eric, I have to say thank you, man. Before I, I, I know we have things to share, I'm definitely going to say check out um, Eric's article. Again, I'll have that in the description um, of the pod and I'll tweet that out as well. So definitely make sure to look out for that. Um, but before we get to um, other things that are coming up here very soon in the future, Eric, I got to ask you this. I asked all my first time guests this, and it's actually is born of this past SBC. So a little quick fun story. Um, I've told this a few times now, but when I first went, when I went to SBC last year, I wasn't even paying attention. I had this wallpaper for a while. I had actually someone on Twitter made it for me. Um, and it was my five favorite players. And it was um, like my favorite players, not like just because just of style, who I like seeing on the floor. It was Russell Westbrook. It was Terry Rozier, Michael Beasley, the Charles Sprewell, and Monte Ellis. And so wow. I am, I had my phone out. I was making a connection with somebody at SBC and I pull out my phone to, you know, write his number and he sees this list. And he's like, or he sees these players. Like it was the wall, the wallpaper. And he's like, "Hey, man! Like, what? what who were those?" I'm like, "Oh, those are the five best players of all time, or my, my five best players of all time." He's like, "Your five best?" And at that moment, obviously, I didn't mean to say best. I'm going to say favorite. But it spawned an idea because they were all like, "What in the world?" I'm like, "Yeah, like I like guys who you know, kind of crazy. Their their ideas put the ball in the hoop. Like that's one thing mm-hmm. all of my players have. It's a common theme. Yeah, they're not the best players. Like yeah, if you put them in a 2K tournament, it's not going to be great. But like they're my five favorite. And so then I'm like, that's a really good question. I want to ask people that and kind of get their their kind of vibe on that. Like who are your top five players? And I've asked, I've had the privilege of asking several different people this and getting so many different answers. I've had reporters who cover the Clippers, but lived in Minnesota. And so their five favorite players are all Timberwolves and Raleigh Zerbiak's on his list. And I've had, yeah. you know, um, Clippers guys who have had all over the place. I've had NBA and WNBA teams. So I'm intrigued by yours, especially from following the game for a while, being able to see a lot of these players up close and personal and knowing that they're just your five favorite. Um, who are your hoop vibe squad, Eric? Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's hard because uh, I've been around a while and I mean, there's, you, you could say like, who, you know, who's the best players of all time. That's a different argument. That's a whole thing that I could you know, spend days arguing about. Uh, but when you're talking about like favorite players, I mean, I know that I spent so long covering Kobe and got to know him. And so you got to have Kobe on there um, for, for really the, the good and the bad, you know what I mean? Like the ups and the downs. Uh, and, you know, I have a lot of respect for him as, you know, as a father and, and for what he meant to the world. Uh, especially girl dad, you know, I, I have three daughters. So there's a lot of love for Kobe uh, and, and his family for, you know, the loss of them, but he'd still probably be on the list, mm-hmm. even if he was uh, still with us. I, I always loved Iverson. Uh, I can't argue with Iverson. You know, he, it, it, it's that young, that small guy who just is gonna play harder than everybody and just like attack and try to kill you with it. And, and I, I, he, what he weighed, weighed like 150 <laughs> yeah. 160 
Like he was such a, you know, such a great um, competitor and his career died out pretty early. He couldn't really adapt to a different style of play. Um, just the nature of things like some, I guess it's kind of what we're seeing with Russ. Like it's hard for him not to be that guy with the ball. And I think Iverson, it, it, it was hard for him to not be that superstar anymore. And yeah. that's probably why his career went the way it went. Uh, as far as, you know, his, his, he didn't have like the 20 year career, um, his, his, his days ended a little early, but definitely, <laughs> um, I got to say, you know, growing up in LA around the nineties, when I did, uh, got to go with Nick Van Exel, Nick, the quick, oh, it is. Uh, that's my era. <laughs> I mean, that was really the era that I fell in love with being at the game and, and wanting to do this at that level. And there's some similarities to him and Iverson where like, well, they're both relatively small. Uh, Nick always felt disrespected because I think he was 37 in the draft, something like that. Yeah, um, and so, and he played with such a attitude and just, he had, he was a great like F you kind of attitude kind of player. Um, I'd have to think long and hard about the rest. Um, I mean, I grew up as a kid, a young kid watching magic play. Uh, you know, I was pretty young to fully digest it, but mm-hmm. um, you know, magic was pretty pretty incredible and, and his impact on the game that's what four uh oh, that's four yep shoot. iverson yeah Kobe, i have to think nick the quick uh magic um, yeah i'd have to think long and hard about the rest um I, because it's I'll like take four. <laughs> well because then you're like i'm thinking about all the other people who because then there's like relationships like you know like i like i got to know deandre when he was a rookie deandre jordan and like oh, he's wow. such a fun lovable guy yeah and like chris Kamen was my first interview that I ever had in the at Staples Center, which is no longer Staples Center, but mm-hmm. like, so I have a lot of love for him from just like, and he's crazy he's you know, cool. I mean, in a good way. <laughs> he, he was a good dude. He mm-hmm. kept it real. There okay. were some areas of um, consciousness that we couldn't come to, you know, we were very different. Like okay. you know, there are areas that like, you just got to set boundaries. Like we're not, we don't see the world the same way in certain areas. Yeah. I think there's value in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's cool. Like, you just sort of like allow him to be, whatever he is the way mm-hmm. he is but like we had a lot of kinship anyway uh, cool. despite some of our differences um but like i mean just being around players in like i mean I, andre ingram like watching him come oh, and play yes. like, those games um like i've just been around like you know jordan farmar was cool as hell like just being around him sasha Vujicic, mm-hmm. like i was in the locker room for all those guys pow gasol is like one of the most intelligent people but then you go to kareem he's probably Kareem's like the wisest person I've probably ever met, you know, as far as like worldly wisdom. Um, The guy just like, he, he has so much depth to him Mm -hmm. and he grew up in an era that didn't understand that. You know what I mean? Like that, like athletes in general. And then there's a certain level of racism as well. Like don't understand like that. This is somebody who is thinking about the world in a, like a Renaissance kind of point of view, like he sees the world, like his, he's got stuff on jazz and he's written novels and like, you know, and yeah, I mean, he's so like, I can't even narrow down the fifth. So I'm just <laughs> going to take the field on the fifth. Like there's so many people that have meant a lot to me. And that, that's really the love of what I have, what I do mm-hmm. as much as it's like, you know, where there's a certain level of, uh, you know, whatever I'm paying bills and I'm doing, you know, it's work and, and there are good times, bad times, et cetera. But like yeah. just having to be around, these people get to know them and, and, and see who they are. I mean, I can't, I got to shout out like Malik Rose, like he took SBC sports business classroom so that he could further his career after his playing days. But I used to watch him guard Shaq 
and just be dominant. You know, like he Shaq just Malik's like five, like sorry, not five, like six nine. And no, no, he's more like six six. Mm. He's like you know, like he's a big, but he's probably six six. Yeah, he was probably listed six eight, <laughs> but he's wow. like six eight. Yeah, yeah generously he listed. To, you know, and so he would like have to guard Shaq, who had like you know six seven inches on him and a bigger body and all that. And but Malik was strong and fought as hell. Like, but to see like you know the relationship that I've been able to build up with him through working with him through SBC. He's working in the G League now. He's one of the uh, he's a does basketball operations for the G League. So like, there's a lot of players like that that um, I've gotten to know that I have a lot of love for as well. That is cool. That is cool. I mean, even just that shows your love of basketball and how the passion kind of flourish in a way. Like, that's the best four-man lineup I've had in a minute. I'll tell you that right now, Eric. Like, that's <laughs> that's pretty good. Having a rotating fifth, again, made history as the first of its kind. But I really do like that. And it definitely makes a lot of sense. And the fact that you have these plethora of people that you can appreciate from a basketball level and also on a more human level, um, sure. it's really cool. Well, Eric, again, man, just talking basketball with you, over the past hour or so it's been a blast um before i let you go do you have anything you want to plug share i know we got some big things coming up i i want to give the floor to you sir oh well i appreciate that well first of all you can always follow me on twitter at eric pincus e-r-i-c-p-i-n-c-u-s that's usually where i'm putting whatever i've got going on uh so if you need to keep up with me hit me up say hi uh don't be afraid to to pop a question at me just if it's in the middle of like a a crazy time i might not see it but if it's like normal when things aren't breaking time then i'm pretty good about responding uh but i am also uh excited about sports business classroom which is our immersive program we do stuff throughout the year virtually uh which is great but there's something that you get immersive where you're actually at the summer league in yeah. vegas you're in the gym where all the players are playing where all the executives are, are hanging out with you know scouts um, there's a lot of agents there, although last year, a little bit less so, uh, because of COVID, I think it'll be a little more normal this year. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's July 10th through 15th in Las Vegas. And, uh, there's actually an early bird registration that closes before April. So if you're listening to this, it's, it, it's for people who want to make the move into basketball professionally. Uh, ultimately the goal is for most is to try to get into the NBA on some level, not as a player, but like, you know, maybe it's uh, on scouting or analytics, uh, doing video. Uh, maybe it's it's helping with salary cap. Maybe it's just general basketball operations. Maybe you want to get into media and broadcast, uh, be the the person who's doing a local you know sideline reporter stuff. Or maybe you want to uh, like we've got we we've got people that what the joy of it is that we help people get jobs. Yeah. And so we you know we've got people who have like do the official NBA uh, NBA, NBA official account. We've got two former students who run G league teams. Uh, we have somebody with the nets. We have somebody who just got hired by the Celtics. Wow. Uh, and then there's opportunities. There's a lot of people who work for, uh, who took our class. We're working with agents uh, like Jeff Siegel took our class and now he's working with clutch. Uh, so it, it, it's just a great opportunity. And um, like, it's going to sell out ultimately that's we, we turn people away. Uh, but ultimately we want to get as many people registered now as we can, so we can kind of get a sense of, of where we're at, uh, as far as, uh, registrations. And so you save money if you do it now. So if you're looking to, to get into basketball, uh, and you're able to do this before, uh, before April, you'll get a, a discount. If, it, if you're listening to this after April, it's still a tremendous program. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity to be around people like myself, Larry Kuhn, uh, Bo Estes, Dan Purcell, who ran uh, a lot of what 
uh, the Pelicans did uh, before the before the Griffin changeover. Um, mm-hmm. Seth Partnow, uh, Partnow is um, did analytics with the Bucks. Really highly respected mind, great guy. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff Felinzer is great at he works at USC helping with resumes and and all, you know how to actually get jobs and it's such a great program. I love it. I, I really, you know, I can't stress it enough that if you're looking to get, make this move into basketball as a career, this is the way to do it. And when, when teams see this on a resume, they know that we've, we've gone through some, some steps to make sure that the people we let in are, are serious, that they're qualified and, and, and that they're vetted and, and we put a lot of love into them and you know that full well. And, and uh, I, I can't, like I said, I can't recommend it enough. Oh, no, I agree with you completely. I mean, that was one of the best weeks I've ever had. Um, a lot of what I'm doing now, kind of springboard of that, connections, you know, being able to just sit and talk to you casually and others like that. Like, you're right. The experience you get there, literally like none other. I, I think I can safely say that, like, 100% mirroring what you said. And, yeah, literally definitely make sure to take advantage of that for sure. Um, it is a memorable week. I'm telling you, if you are a lover of basketball and to just learn from the best, um, literally for a week, just full access there's literally nowhere else I can think of that y'all can get that. So well, I mean, you sure. killed it. You killed it. I mean, it, it, <laughs> like Corbin came in and like was easy when we were picking like our top students. That was, that was, you were an easy choice. Oh, and man, I remember like sure. when we, when, when you came into that midterm and we were just like, y'all were like optimistic and like, Oh, we're killing it. And we just like ripped you guys up, but oh. then you guys did what you wanted to do anyway. And you yeah, still your presentation, all that, but yeah, it's www.sportsbusinessclassroom.com. Uh, check that out for sure. Okay, and I will have the link to that as well um, in the description, y'all. So definitely make sure to check that out. Eric, sir, thank you so, so much. I really do appreciate the time. All right, so listen, definitely make sure, again, I have all the information for Eric um, on the description, but again, on Twitter, at Eric Pincus. You can follow me, if you'd like, on Twitter, at CorbinNBA, Sports Ethos, like I say, on Twitter, at Sports Ethos, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S, online, sportsethos.com. One last thing, y'all, before we sign off, want to remind y'all to use the coupon code HoopBall20. I know we're Sports Ethos now, but the code is still the same. It's been a year, y'all. Um, at Manscaped.com for 20% off your order plus free shipping, okay? And also, while you're at it, check out our pals at MyBookie.ag. Use the code HoopBall on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. So HoopBall20 from Manscaped.com and HoopBall on MyBookie.ag to get some real uh, good discounts there. All right, y'all, it's been a blast as always, but for Eric, For myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.